Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 140th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Perhaps one of the most overused expressions in the English language is the phrase, ignorance is bliss. But is this really true? Are people who are ignorant to the goings and comings of the world happier people? We often think of people who know less as being more carefree and being able to enjoy life a lot more. As much like children, they only view the world around them at the surface and never penetrate into some of the uglier aspects regarding human nature. And yet, according to the great philosopher Socrates, a man must know thyself before they can fully enjoy the benefits of life. As a man who does not know who he is may not understand why he does the things that he does, the people he associates with, the job that he works, or even why some people always seem to have very much in life while others seem to have so little. The ignorant man is also in no position to help others, or even himself for that matter, as he is unaware that there are even problems that are in need of addressing. However, the Greek notion of obtaining wisdom seems at some level to run against the Old Testament. The Garden of Eden, Eve, is strictly forbidden by God not to eat from the tree of knowledge. It is suggested that such knowledge, particularly the understanding of good and evil, is the very source of man's discontentment and suffering. Perhaps if we had chosen to remain much like our fellow animals, ignorant, to the ways of the world and relying more on pure instinct, perhaps we would be much happier and a much more peaceful species. Joining me to decide whether it's best to leave the Garden of Eden or chasing a life of wisdom, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, knowing what you know now, if you were Adam, would you take a bite out of that apple? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, my good man. So one of the things that's always strange about the Old Testament is that the fact that they never call it the tree of evil, or they never call it the tree of sin, or the, the, the tree of the devil. It's the tree of knowledge. And throughout our lives, we, we always think, well, knowledge is wonderful. Knowledge is beautiful. And I've never really fully understood why it is the more that we know, the more we might be tempted by the forces of evil, the more uh, paranoid we might become. And to some extent, I think there is some truth in this. Like I've, I've been around regular people and I've also been around some really highly educated people. And I have to say, the more education you have, the more cynical, the more like depressed or, or like, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but I feel like I do know a lot of incredibly smart people that just really have a very depressive kind of cynical outlook on life. And then I, I compare them to my like less educated brethren and those people are just much happier and just much more easygoing and much more generous. Like, uh, you know, a, a knowledgeable person will be like, well, why does this person want me to do this favor? Or what are why are they giving me this gift? Like, well, what, what does that have to do with this? They're trying to use me to do this and to do that. Whereas the person who knows a lot less, like a child will be like, oh, thank you for that cool gift. You know, how can I help you? And, and they're just way more easygoing. So I, I, I agree with Socrates, but I also see the, the, the wisdom that's also embedded in the Old Testament. Where am I going wrong with this, though? Okay, so there is an aspect to, to knowledge that 
creates that in people. We'll come to that. But it's it's not just it's not the it's not the fruits of knowledge. It's the fruits of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. And so the 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 idea is not about knowing things, but knowing specifically good and evil. Mm. Um, and the, the problem was really never eating the fruits or eating eating of the tree. The problem was eating of the the, the problem was the disobedience it was the disobedience that um, disobeying God. Beyond that, if if this the idea that you know the knowledge the knowledge of good and evil is troubling was I and I, I to this day I'm not entirely sure entirely sure why I mean I, mean, I don't think some people are but I, I I don't think I am I think that there are there are certain reasons why they they weren't just simply weren't ready to eat of that tree but there is an aspect of good of sort of knowledge that you know that changes people for the worse. But I would say that overall knowledge is a good thing because I think I don't think that ignorance is bliss. I think that ignorance is death because, for example, and this is just a simple, you know, very, you know, um, simple example, because, you know, there, there are a lot of different avenues which a person could take ignorance. So the first one is if you're if you're in extreme, um, um, if you're showing signs of some sort of disease and you don't know it. And you, you don't know it and you choose to ignore it because you think you'll be happier without knowing what's going on. You'll die. Right. Same thing happens for the soul. Things that people feel a lot of depression and unhappiness and anxiety and honestly don't even care about the, why they feel these things. And so they go to a, you know, not like, um, go to a, how you say, a, um, a therapist yeah. who ends up prescribing them, you know, um, antidepressants. And that's all. They just numb themselves to the to the pain. But the same principle applies. You will die. You will you will experience a certain kind of emotional, psychological death that usually leads to suicide. So the point is simply, and you know, the same thing happens throughout our lives. If you don't know how human beings work, if you don't know that people you know, certain people like certain things or dislike certain things. If you go to a foreign country and behave like a total arse and find yourself, you know, being ostracized or, you know, looked, looked, looked down upon um, because you didn't, you didn't know their culture. You didn't know you weren't supposed to say a certain thing or behave a certain <laughs> way. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think, so those are just, uh, you know, I would say more extreme examples. But I also think it's brilliant to know the little things about, about life. You go outside and everything is a question mark. You don't know what kind of tree you're looking at. You, know, <laughs> you, can, you, know what you don't know what kind of animal is right in front of you. Just a big question mark in your mind. You just call it a bird. We have no idea what kind of bird it is. Your son asks you and you have, you have to pull out Google to answer those bloody questions. It's silly, you know? Um, the, the, the point is simply that I think that knowledge is a very good thing. And I think that knowledge is very helpful. I think ignorance is very deadly. Right. Now, I think there's such a thing as how you say, you can't know everything. So we have to choose what we choose to know and what we, cho what we choose to ignore. It's not simply because we want to ignore it by, um, out of some desire for ignorance, but we have to ignore it by necessity because we just can't know everything. But the things that are the things we deem worthy of knowing, the things we think important to know, I think we should pursue um, as best we can, you know, to our own to our own capacity.
I think I think that's a really good distinction. And perhaps in the beginning, I was overgeneralizing a bit because you could be a person of less education or less knowledge. And let's say your friend gets upset with you and you don't know why your friend is upset with you because you don't really have like empathy or you don't really have like, you haven't read enough novels to kind of enter someone else's mind and and get an idea of how they're thinking. So you can become depressed and be like, well, why, why do my friends not like me anymore? No one's talking to me anymore. They're not answering my text messages or whatever. And you could fall into a depressed state because you don't actually have the wisdom to get out of that situation. Whereas a wise person will be like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot to wish so-and-so a happy birthday. And that's probably why they're not picking up my text message or whatever, you know, like they'll be able to connect the dots a little bit better and sort of understand the motivations and and the workings Mm -hmm. of other people. And that can actually allow them to better their situation. Like if you have more knowledge and more wisdom and have a deeper understanding of like how people work, then you can kind of use that to your benefit to get things and to, to just create more peace and prosperity around you. Whereas if you don't know how, what motivates people, you're just utterly clueless and you're going to, you're going to be victim to all of that. So I think that's a remarkably good distinction. The one thing I I, I do want to, I'm still not fully sold on this yet. And here's why. So one thing I do notice is that yes, knowledge and wisdom allows you to get stuff and it allows you to have better interpersonal, you know, interactions with people and so forth, better, better at work. However, if I look at myself when I was like, let's say 17, and I was obviously a lot less red and a lot less polished than I am today, (laughs) but I was also, I think a lot more carefree and happier. Bad things happened to me and maybe I didn't know why they happened to me, but I didn't overthink it too much. Like I, I, I didn't overthink it. I was like, okay, well, that, that's just the way that is. And I noticed that as your knowledge increases, so does the level of anxiety and overthinking. Because on one hand, the, your thinking allows you to troubleshoot problematic situations. But on the other hand, you, once, once you have it turned on, you can't turn it off. You know what I mean? Like that anxiety of overthinking things can't be just, it's not like a valve where it's like, okay, I want to be dumb again. Let me just turn uh, the hot and cold water off in my brain and be carefree. Once that knowledge is there and once it's on, it never goes away. Once you see a certain thing, you can't unsee it. Like there's things I've learned in like sociology or whatever. And when I'm walking down the sidewalk, I'm noticing these like patterns or trends of, uh, of societies or whatever. And it's like, I wish I, sometimes I say to myself, I wish I could just unsee this stuff that I've learned. So how, how would you talk to that person? So, I mean, first of all, I think that makes sense because I think everybody experiences that at some point. We, as we often compare ourselves to our, um, to our kid selves and say, well, when I was a kid, I was very carefree and I was very happy and, you know, things didn't really bother me as much. And that makes sense because, you know, kids are little um, dumb monkeys running around and all they really want is our popsicles and video games. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> that's a good thing for kids to want. And here's the thing is that kids are happy because kids have no reason to be unhappy. There is no reason informing them why they should be unhappy. They're just happy because, I mean, especially kids who grew up in a very, you know, in an environment where they get a lot of the things they want and a lot of kids who are in a very stable, well-disciplined and so forth, they really do end up being somewhat 
generally happy. But here's the thing is that it's not about ignorance because as you grow older, you can't say, well, I need to be more ignorant so I'll be happier. Well, kids, kids are not really, it's not really, it's not really an ignorance that's making them happy. It's a, it's a, it's a knowledge about, it's a knowledge, a deep knowledge that they may not be able to articulate, but I think I know, I think I might be able to say what it is. Is that my parents are going to take care of me. What am I, there's literally no reason to be unhappy. There is no thing in their mind causing them unhappiness because they have security with their parents. They have the good thing, the pleasures of life, at least according to them that they want. And they enjoy, you know, usually the um, school and friends and all that. And some of them don't enjoy school, but they do enjoy friends at school. And so there's really, there's very little reason for them to be unhappy. But for adults, there's plenty of reasons to be unhappy. <laughs> and so what happens is it's not a matter of ignorance. It's about adding knowledge. It's about adding a little bit more knowledge in a specific category, in a specific area. And this is where people, this is where a very fun, a very big difference happens. So, you know, now what adult needs to do is add a knowledge, add knowledge to why he should be happy or why he could be happy or why he doesn't need to worry. And an adult says, well, usually the adult says, well, why, why should I? Well, there, there are a couple, couple different ways an adult can do this. Um, I've, um, I've heard adults who actually believe this and say, you know, if you worry, if you worry, you suffer twice. That's really why they don't do it. If you worry, you suffer twice. So why worry? Just go through the thing and enjoy it as you go. I, I agree with that, by the way. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's pretty darn reasonable. Yeah, it's, it's true. And other adults, you know, would say, well, I, I'm, I'm never going to worry because I believe that, you know, God's going to take care of me no matter what, period. And that they believe that and they're not worried about jack squat. They walk through this life as like it's like it's their playground. I know a guy like this. This guy I've never seen, never in my life, literally never in my life, seen this guy unhappy. Never. And this is this is a man I named my son after because I was I'm really impressed with him. He's a genuinely <laughs> incredible human being. And he baffles me, you know. So there are people who are like that. They just know that they're going to be okay because they believe in a living God who cares for them. Whether you believe in that or not, they do. And that's enough. And they live their lives that way. And for one reason or the other, they're happy and it actually works out for them. Go figure. <laughs> you know? And others, it's like, this is where it becomes very difficult for them. And they, they try to live, how you say, on a very, you know, I'm happy they, they, tr they try to buy their happiness. They try, and this is where it stops working. The only, two, the only two people I've seen that it actually works in are people with an incredible will, like a will of fire. They say, I will not be unhappy because if I am unhappy, it makes no sense. And that's it. And they, can't, they can do it. Others say, I will not be unhappy because I know that the living God is for me and everything will be fine. And that's it. They're okay. But everybody else starts struggling. Everybody else starts struggling because it's now... You, have, you get into all kinds of you know different areas why where where people are looking for happiness and and, and, and so forth but um but i would say that it's not it's not a matter of not knowing but a matter of knowing something something understanding something that adds to the knowledge to keep you as as joyful as you were when you were a kid okay um i love i love what you're saying here and i i think maybe now we should just compare adult to adult because I think you're right. If you're a child, 
you don't have to worry about a ton of stuff. You got stuff to worry about, you know, like don't, don't get me wrong, your homework and what the other kids think of you, but you're not worried about like the minutia details of, of, of like, how am I going to pay this bill or, you know, what kind of furniture am I going to put in my apartment and, you know, what insurance to have, like, you don't worry about that stuff. So you're yeah. right. Like just, just off the bat, by virtue of being a minor, you just have a number of things you don't worry about. There are exceptions. There are people thrusted into extraordinary circumstances where they have to take up adult responsibility at a young age. But um, barring those um, instances, yes, a lot of things are just taking care of you. Like you don't need to worry about what to learn because a teacher comes into the room and tells you what you're going to be learning. You don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to cultivate an education for yourself. Okay, let's take a look at those two adults that you were just discussing, right? Like we'll call one Mr. Anxiety and one Mr. Carefree. Mr. Carefree has a strong conviction in God. Um, you know, God's going to take care of this. I don't need to, I don't worry about that. And then we have Mr. Anxiety. And this is something that I, you know, I talk with my girlfriend about. Um, she loves uh, looking into the stock market and like 401ks and pensions and retirements and all of that just goes over my head. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, but hey, right, right. I just, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm kind of in that area. I'm like, you know, God will take care of us somehow. <laughs> right. Uh, probably not, probably not the right attitude for a 33 year old man to have, but, 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 but the thing about it though, is that all of this worrying about retirement and worrying about like 401ks and pensions and stuff, it creates a lot of anxiety about the future. So her knowledge in let's say retirement increases, right? It, it increases wonderfully, but then also does that anxiety also kind of increase because so in, in one way by focusing in on like my retirement and my pension and all this other stuff, you would think that like the more work you did, the less you would have to worry. But I actually find that the inverse of that is true. I think the more you plan for your retirement, the more anxiety is created because there's so many little things that could go wrong. And, you know, are we on the right mutual fund or whatever? And it just, I'm like, Jesus, I thought having a nest egg or having a retirement would ease your worrying, but it actually kind of increases it. Whereas the carefree dude who's like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm going to retire. I'm just going to keep on working. Well, okay. They don't have a nest, you know, they don't have the best nest egg or whatever for themselves, but they don't have to worry every second of their lives. You know, they don't have to worry every minute of their lives of like, Oh my God, what am I going to do when I'm 65? And that's assuming you even get to 65, which is also yeah. people don't realize that that's not a given. That's also a giant yeah. if, and then, you will have spent all of your life worrying about a future that never actually manifests. So I, I don't know what the line is between like, you know, being a responsible adult, being wise and, and, and also like being carefree, you know, because some people would point to that carefree person and be like, man, you're just being, you're, you're just being a grown up child right now by not worrying about your retirement. Yeah. I mean, sure. But it depends. So there, I think um, those, those two kinds of people are, you know, I mean, we, we know, we know people like that, but, you know, so for example, there's something for both of them, the person who is, you know, who's, who cares about the, the retirement plan and looks into it. I mean, that's not crazy or wrong at all. There's just, it's just a wise thing to do. It's understandable. It's understandable why they would do it. But the, the question now becomes is, you know, why the anxiety in the sense of, you know, um, there's a reason, there's a reason the anxiety pops up. 
because there's anxiety is is not is not no thing. It's not there is it's it's not an unreasonable anxiety is a is a reasonable reaction to something. You're anxious about well, you've you've heard that someone's going to get shot tomorrow, or your friend is going to get hurt, or someone is going to leave you forever. Whatever there is a there is a reason to be anxious. So anxiety is not a is not an is not an unreasonable reaction to things. So we have to find okay why are we why are we anxious? There's a reason for it. So. Well, can but, I just explain how knowledge and anxiety might be tied to each other? No, so, please go on. So let, let's just say, for example, there's two people. The first person walks outside, but they've yes. just read a New York Times article that yes. said crime is rising. Okay, so you've got yes. one guy. Uh, he leaves his, his apartment and he's just read an, a New York Times article saying crime is rising. And he looks around and now he's anxious. He's like, oh my God, crime is, is, is rising. I have to be more careful. Look at that guy giving me that ugly look. You know, I have to be a little bit more wary. And then you have the second guy who doesn't read anything and just leaves his apartment. He has no idea what the hell's going on. And everything is lovely. It's like, oh, it's sunny out. It's wonderful. Look at, look at that cool kid throwing that football over there. And he just doesn't care about it all. So I would say that like the, the person reading the newspaper article would be like, well, I was just trying to learn about my environment so I could take necessary precautions and stuff like that. But I'm like, that's how your knowledge is giving you anxiety because now you know something that isn't really going to help you all that much. It's not going to make you, you're not, just because you read that, you know, New York Times article, that doesn't make you an expert in jujitsu that's now going to be able to like defend yourself against criminals left and right. It just, added your knowledge just added to your worries whereas the guy who just didn't even read that thing is going to be a lot happier on their sunday stroll okay but there are two things about that the first thing is that um first of all i i <laughs> I, I know i know that situation but no <laughs> so the first thing is that you know um the knowledge my i believe that it's not the knowledge that adds to the anxiety because a person could read, could equally read that and not be anxious. They could read that information and say, well, well, that's the, that's the information I've been given concerning my environment. So well, thank you, New York Times. And go about his day like, sure, okay. Well, so I think that the, I'd say that the, there's a reason that the person is anxious when they read that information. Now, is it because they feel threatened? They feel uns, you know, unsure about their own safety? So, for example, if you tell the person, okay, the person just read this article, and underneath is, a yellow, is another article that says, people who wear yellow hats are less likely to be attacked. And he looks up and says, well, I'm wearing a yellow hat. <laughs> wow, <laughs> would you look at that? So <laughs> he just added more knowledge, more knowledge to the knowledge he previously had. Well, you know, um, tempered his anxiety. So it's, 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 it's not a matter of the ping pong of knowledge um, knocking us about, but it's about something else. There's a certain understanding, there's a certain understanding, I believe, that's, um, um, that helps or, and disarms our anxieties about certain situations. Um, because it's, I, I still think, just like knowledge can, knowledge can make us anxious, and, but I, I still think that knowledge is not necessarily the, the, the cause of that. The anxiety already existed. But I think that just like knowledge can make us anxious, knowledge can also make us relax and, um, um, and less anxious. Okay, I want to talk about the yellow hat because th this is a, it's, it's actually funny because this is a very topical thing that we're talking about. So yeah. during the pandemic, 
it was actually a fact, and it was reported in the New York Times that crime was rising in 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 cities and like uh, yes. urban urban areas. So a lot of people actually put on a metaphorical yellow hat and said, "Oh well, I got to get out of Los Angeles. I got to get out of New York. I got to go to the suburbs or whatever." And they they they're like. Basically, they're, they're having like this knee-jerk reaction where they read something, it scares them, and then their yellow hat is like, okay, I got to get the hell out of this city and move to this safer suburban area that has, you know, less crime or whatever. And I'm like, is that really a proper way for a person to live? Like, yes, what they're doing on paper is logical. It follows like trends and it follows crime statistics. It's like, logically, I can't argue against it. But I'm like, maybe it's just better to live in the urban area that has higher crime and just train yourself not to worry about it. That, that, that's my argument. So even though that article is telling me put on a yellow hat, maybe it's just smarter to be like, screw that shit. I'm not putting on this yellow hat. I'm going to take my chances out there and I'm just not going to, I'm going to train myself just not to worry about it. So you see, it's like, because, and the reason I say this is that it's like, it's a never ending cycle. If you, if you are constantly reading that knowledge and then reacting to it, it's in, it controls you. That knowledge is controlling you and you're trying to control your own safety and your own outcomes and that's going to build anxiety. So you're right that like knowledge in itself may not be harmful, but knowledge has a way of pushing us into knee-jerk reactions, into doing things that, you know, perhaps it's best that we just kind of internally conquer. Yes, I think, I think it is. It's, it's one of those things that, it does push us into doing all kinds of um, making knee-jerk reactions and moving very quickly, uh, usually very anxiously from one point to another. Yeah, so I, I'm 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 still like very struggling with this because it, it, it's like there's also this idea of knowledge overload, and I think that yeah. today we we live in knowledge overload today, way 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 too much. One thing that I have done that has actually improved my sleep substantially is I do not touch my once once I go to once my head hits the pillow I do not touch my smartphone at all I'm like I'm, yeah. I'm no more smartphone and what's funny is that I realize that just this not knowing makes me feel better when I when I put my head down on that pillow because my smartphone has all the answers I need right it has all the answers I need but what I realize is that it doesn't ever stop. It's it, it just it's it's infinity. It just infinity because you look at one Wikipedia article and then there's a hyperlink. Oh, well, let me click on this hyperlink. Oh, and, and then it's leading to this. And then you know, like you fall down these rabbit holes. And I realize that I'm not becoming smarter. I'm just kind of fulfilling my anxiety. Like these rabbit holes are not like true philosophical quest for wisdom. They're just anxiety ridden rabbit holes that, and mm -hmm. it's funny because I actually monitor my own behavior and I'm like, I tend to fall down these rabbit holes at around like 11 o'clock at night, precisely when it is that I'm supposed to go to bed. So that's, that's like, that's a huge problem. And mm -hmm. I, I think that when we didn't have smartphones in our pockets at all times, and we just had to leave the house and just not know stuff. I think we were a lot less anxious and a lot happier. I don't think we've, I don't think our moods have increased by virtue of the fact that we can just look up stuff every single second of the day. I think, I think some of the greatest joys in life were walking outside, like some of my greatest joys in life were walking around with friends and just not knowing stuff and just debating it and, and just like guessing about it and, and hypothesizing about it. I think there was a lot of creativity 
and a lot less more, there was a lot more fun in that than just instantly looking it up and instantly um, having every, every anxiety answered only to be replaced by another anxiety. Yes, I understand. I, I could understand that. Um, so it, it's a matter, you know, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of what, what is the, uh, how you say, it? Is, is the knowledge, is the knowledge the cause and the root, the cause of the anxiety? Or is, you know, um, is the knowledge simply the revealer of the anxiety? Because, you know, if, if um, <clears throat> does knowing, does knowing change our disposition towards, towards certain things, you know, like um, if, does the knowledge, does, does knowledge change, change? Does knowledge change us? Does it make us more anxious, more, or does it, does it relieve our anxieties? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think that I, I still can't see, I still can't see the, 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 the you see, the connection between knowledge in of itself and anxiety in the sense that I think that I, I know that knowledge can make us anxious, but I don't think it has anything to do with the knowledge itself. Because for, and here's why, and this is, maybe this is simply, maybe it's because I've never, I've ne knowledge has never made me anxious. I've never had an experience where, um, even when I remember when I was still um, uh, an immigrant in the United, well, I'm still an immigrant basically, <laughs> but when I was, um, how you say, um, an, un an undocumented immigrant, I'd come here with a, you know, with a, um, I was physically allowed to stay, but I was still, you know, unable to work. And um, um, it was a very hard time, very early, just a couple of years ago, actually, let me say about five years ago, five or six years ago. And I remember people saying things like, you know, um, when Trump got elected, you know, immigrants are going to be in, in pretty much um, gun, not, not gun, but attacked or, you know, focused on. Sure. And it was like, um, if, if that, if that was, if that was, if that was, that was information, Right, that was information, not necessarily knowledge, but information. Sure, I guess it is some some knowledge to know that he is going to be president is knowledge, and to know that he is making immigration reforms is knowledge. But to be certain that he was going to gun, you know, come come for uh, we lowly, we poor lowly souls. It's information. It's not really basic. It's not, it's not you know. But if that was that was like the only time I could see it possibly attempting to make me anxious, but I at the same time I wasn't anxious because it, it's because and here here's why because I believe that whenever I encounter information, I believe I see it as information. It is it's it's knowledge, knowledge and information. It, it tells me what is the reality of things, especially if it's not false. Because there's a lot of information out there, books that you know that promise knowledge, but they lie to you. And this is one of the biggest, this big, very big problem. Because some some guy or some lady out there really has you know a grind, an axe to grind with a particular idea, and they're willing to lie and be dishonest in order to get the ideas across. And in doing so, they misinform people and yes, help with the anxiety and so forth. But at the same time, they make people a bit. And you say to to hold a lie in your mind is to hold a non-truth, which is it's which is very strange. It's like holding a no. It's like holding it's like holding chaos in your mind. And so, telling people lies are very. It was one of the most dangerous things 
it makes no, it's almost like it's, it's so contrary to reality that it makes no sense. But there's a, there's a, so the idea that, you know, a person would write a book and put information in there, and um, I, I see it as information. I see it as something that I have to deal with, I have to encounter. And I believe that a person is molded and shaped by the information, not in a sense of, um, um, not in a sense of crippled or broken by it, but in a sense of taking the shape, the form of the, of the intent of the information. So when a person tells you that, um, you know, did you know that this is how a certain kind of tree operates? Or this is how, you know, um, a certain kind of um, car is built. And your mind takes that and it forms, it forms, well, it, it takes, it's like an imprint. It, it bends to the shape of that information. It bends its knee to that information and calls, it, it calls that information Lord. And it, it begins to interact with the world as though that information were true. That's how I, I that's I, I see I see it more like information that has been, that I'm very distant from emotionally, but it's more like a thing. It's like me encountering reality. It's me encountering what is. Um, even when I look at the stock markets, I think, and this is, and then I, I want to know if how what what you think about this because I've never, um, I've actually never inarticulated this. But even when I look at the stock markets, look at things that are you know volatile and shaky. I've never, never had, never had this feeling of anxiety or, or fear towards it, and maybe this is one of the reasons. This is where, where, where one of the reasons it's hard for me to see it. The the, the beauty of human autonomy. You have very different experiences, you know. Um, so I, I've, I've knowledge is one of those things I've never encountered in a fearful or in, a, in an anxious way, but it's always one of been. It's always been a, a an encounter of information and molding, trans transformation to fit better into the world I'm living in. Okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack with what you're saying, and I think it's, it's all juicy goodness. So the first, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, first, the first thing that we need to talk about is the idea of false knowledge versus true knowledge. And I agree with you. I think false knowledge will always create anxiety because that's actually the intention of false knowledge. False knowledge is always to get you scared, you know, like, oh my God, that guy's the next Hitler, right? That's false knowledge. And false knowledge always has the intention of demonizing another group of people, uh, you know, a subset of people or uh, an organization, right? So false knowledge by its very intention and false knowledge, another word we could use for that is rumors, right? Like rumors are just meant to sow the seeds of distrust, right? And the more rumors you consume, the more paranoid you're going to become. You know, Stalin completely operated off of false knowledge or rumors. If he just felt that you didn't smile hard enough or he just a bird whispered into his ear, blah, 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 is betraying you, he would just go ultra, ultra paranoid. So when you use false knowledge, you're always going to create a, a citadel of fear and you're always going to, you're going to live in a fortress of paranoia. And, and I, that's a very good distinction to make here. Now, there's something else that you said that was quite remarkable about um, even when you have true knowledge, you don't have to become fearful in the face of true knowledge. So let's just say, for example, let's just say a report came out and it said that the number of immigrants deported under Trump increased. And let's just say it was hard, hard, cold fact. It was true knowledge. Yeah. And you knew that to be 100% true. You still don't have to be afraid of that. 
And that's a very difficult thing to do, especially when it affects you personally. So to, to, to be in, in, a, in a legal status that is, um, you know, hanging in the balance, to find that to find out that hardcore knowledge and still be like, okay, this might very well happen to me, but I'm just not going to let it bother me or I'm not going to let it affect my behavior whatsoever. That's an extremely difficult thing to achieve. And I think I give you a lot of credit and I, I think it actually circles back to our uh, conversation about detachment. So, and I, I think to answer your question about the stock market where you said, you know, even if I have money invested in the stock market, I don't really care if I lose money or it goes up or something. I think that knowledge and detachment have to be married to one another in order for it to work. Because if you're a highly attached person and you have knowledge, well, then you're going to have those knee-jerk reactions of like, no, 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 switch the mutual fund to this. Oh my God, the the the, the GameStop stock has fallen. Uh, you know, you're you're because you're too attached to it. So I think the, I think maybe the, the the correct marriage or the correct combination that we're looking for is high levels of knowledge, but also high levels of detachment. So you can know a lot of things about the world, but at the same time, not really care about those things, which is really paradoxical. It's, it's, really, it's really amazing how that, that, that perfect paradox is actually perhaps the best combination to be in this world. What do you yeah. think? I'm just speaking off the top of my head. So what do you think about that? No, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, I, I've always believed that there's a part of wisdom that learns how to detach about, with certain things and learn to, learn to detach from certain things and learn to attach to others. Um, so for example, it's, it's one of those, like, um, you know, we, you, we, today we're living in a very, you know, justice driven world that ends up not being justice after all but you know a justice driven world and we want to you know fly to africa to take care of the african babies and meanwhile our you know neighbor uh, bob bob smith is having a pretty pretty hard time with his life and nobody gives a crack because he's not an african baby it's like okay um <laughs> the knowledge that knowledge about the about the africans makes us uh, makes us very anxious. And so we wants to go do something about it. Mm. And instead of cooling down with sitting down with a cool head, knowing that that's in fact maybe difficult, yes, but being reasonably and reasonable enough to know that, yeah, if the hard things are not, you know, bad things are not, um, how you say? Um, I think you also just, you just poked a hole in my theory there because as I was thinking, as that guy know, like as as the person knows more knowledge about suffering in other parts of the world, they become more detached from their very next door neighbor. So, it's a, detachment can also be a pretty bad thing as well, because like now now you're more attached to things that are happening thousands of miles away, and maybe you're ignoring the the suffering that's happening right under your nose. Yeah, so it's a matter of attachment and detachment happening simultaneously. Yeah. It's a matter of wisdom and managing those things. Because, you know, everything, I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago about the, the, his um, idea, his, his utilitarian philosophy. And he said, the basic premise is this, is, it's in the name. Everything is going to shit and everything is going to die. Everyone you love will die. Everything you have will decay. Everything is going to be destroyed. There is nothing that lasts under the sun. Nothing. It's all for nothing. Everything is counting down to zero. And when it hits zero, it's going to be a huge explosion and more nothing, right? What's the suicide rate amongst those people? 
(laughs) This guy's an incredibly happy guy. He's an incredibly happy guy. I'm telling you, he sits, so he, he owns, um, he owns a big mansion. He sits down in there all day, reads books, smokes cigars, and drinks scotch. That's what he does. And he's a and utilitarian. He's a, and a, he's a big utilitarian, but he's the, he's the second most happiest man I know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try and enter this guy's mind a little bit here. So he thinks the world is just going to go to shit. There's nothing that I can do to stop it. So mm-hmm. I might as well just enjoy the downward roller coaster. Is that is that kind of his philosophy? Like that roller coaster has gone up and now it's coming down. The only thing for me to do is raise my hands and let the wind blow in my face and give out a giant scream of joy. There are two there are three things, three things that are very important to him. Okay. Three things, three philosophical ideas that are very important to him. The first one is the 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 utilitarian philosophy which means everything, yes, you're right, everything is going down to shit, everything. The second thing is peace, philosophy of peace. He says that order brings peace. You must, you must find order in the chaos. If you, can find, if, you can, if you can find order in your life, you will have peace. The third thing is joy. It's very important for, for you to attain joy in your life. So these three things combined together make him one of the happy, just in, he's an incredibly happy man because he's attained them. People say, well, you can't attain those. He's attained them, you know? He understands that he, <laughs> he's the kind of guy who 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 hears a gunshot in the middle of the night and just goes right back to sleep. And it could be in his own bloody house. <laughs> he doesn't care. I have to talk knows. with him. I, I, I understand the first and third one. I, I could see, uh, you know, everything is going to crap, finding joy while things mm-hmm. are going to crap. I, I would have to ask him about how, because if everything is going to crap by definition, there shouldn't be that much order, right? There would be, I would imagine there would be a lot of instability going on. So I'm, I'm curious to see where he's able to find order in a world that is increasingly without order. But think about it like this, your, your life, you're alive right now, but you know very well one day you're going to die. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> At least I hope, I, I hope you know that. This is news to me. Now you <laughs> just I, gave me I, something I, new to worry about. new knowledge to you? <laughs> and just like me, everybody, everybody around us is going to die. But here, here's the thing. We still put on clothes in the morning. We still put on, we still hopefully still put on deodorants. You know what I mean? We still go to work. We still have lunch and dinner with our family, still kiss our kids. We still have kids, for goodness sakes. We still drive cars, spend money on things. The point is not that just because things are going down doesn't mean, because human beings are thinking living beings, especially if you're a Christian, you know that, you know that your life is more than just, you know, um, no thing it's it's there there there's there's meaning behind it and so there's talk to me there's a way though so i I think that your friend is successful with that philosophy because of the framing and perspective that he has because somebody else could adapt that very same philosophy they could become a futilitarian and adapt all three of those principles and just some i guess the joy thing would be kind of hard to negate but they could also go in the opposite direction and say, everything is going to shit. There's no point in living. Why should I try at anything? Why should I try at my job? Why should I try and seek a promotion? This company is going to go bankrupt anyway. Um, you know, everyone is evil. Like everything is corrupt around me. I should just kill myself now. No point in having kids. Um, you know, the environment is going to collapse in 20 years from now. So again, someone could be of that very same philosophy 
And because they have a different perspective, they kind of take the negative road of that perspective. Again, I, I like the fact that joy is the third thing, because if you force yourself to be joyful, it's kind of hard to go down that road. But I could see somebody taking the premise of the world is falling to shit and, and just going in the complete opposite direction with that and falling into complete yeah, utter I mean, destructive nihilism. I can see that, but even, even nihilism, even nihilism is order. There's no such thing as no order in this world, even because just because order always deteriorates doesn't mean that we don't live in a world that it actually even generates order to kill it. So it creates people and then it kills us off, which is very interesting. Nihilism itself has no, you know, has no reason to be nihilistic if it's nihilistic in the sense of even a nihilist, you know what I mean? It's a self-eating snake. It makes no sense. So if, if a person, if a person is a truly a philosophical being, if a person is a pretty thinking, hopefully a truly honest being, they'll know that the end is not simply nihilistic. There is something to it in the sense of just because um, futility is part of the world and it's a great part of this world, there is also birth and order. It brings in life and it keeps that life generally well for a long time and then it kills it off. And so to say that everything is futil you know, um, um, futil futilistic and, and that nihilism is the end of all things is, is false. That's as far as I can see. It's, it's, it makes, it's, 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 not, it's not how you say, um, um, it's not coherent with the way things actually are. You know? So a person like that, it sounds like a person in high school a person who is going through the emo stages and saying, you know what, I'm going to listen to Green Day and I'm going to, <laughs> and three doors, is it three doors blind? And I'm just going to cry for the next six hours. So, okay, that's, that's, that's fine, kid. But when you get up, you still got to do homework. So the, the closest thing that I can think of um, in, in regards to this, I, I guess there's two people that come to mind that kind of fit the few, uh, few <laughs> saying it wrong now. Uh, thank you. Philosophy would probably be the writer. Uh, I, I was just looking him up now, Charles uh, Bukowski and uh, the philosopher Lao Tzu. And both of them basically believe in don't trying too hard, right? I, I think like uh, Bukowski is famous for saying, whatever you do, don't try. Don't, don't try too hard because everything is utterly futile. I think the added layer in that, though, is that it doesn't mean just get drunk on vodka every day. What it means is like enjoy the things that you're doing. Just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy that moment, right? Like you don't have to like lament and 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 drink yourself to death in that state, but just don't don't be attached and don't try too hard to what it is you're doing, and kind of just enjoy the ups and downs because you really have no control over the ups and downs. There is one more person that I know of this. This is King Solomon when he wrote, writes in Ecclesiastes, all life is futile. Everything is meaningless. The only thing, he says, the only thing that I've found for a man to do in this life is eat, drink, and have enjoyment in his work. In his work. So he goes on to describe a very beautiful situation where a person is living, a futilistic, living in a futilistic world, but still enjoying their lives and, you know, uh, and doing quite well. So, so I, I think kind of going back, going back to the core topic here about like knowledge and fear and ignorance is bliss and all this other stuff. So I, I think we've made some, some significant headway here. So knowledge in itself 
is not inherently bad, right? And and like like so. yeah, it's it's not inherently bad. Even even if it's called the tree of knowledge in the Old Testament, it's not inherently bad. The thing that was probably sinful is not the tree, but it was like the disobedience of God, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, like when the snake says, "If you eat from this tree, you'll you will be like God." That's the real sin, not 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 the knowledge itself, right? Yeah, because if we believe that, let's just Christians often believe that sin hadn't entered the world. Before they sin, before the, before eating of that tree. Yeah, well, right. If that's the case. It means that that tree was a good tree. It means that that tree wasn't a bad tree. It was there for a reason. You know? Yeah, and, and so, I, I I've heard rabbis say that we were kind of like supposed to eat from that tree, and it was because like God put that tree there for a reason, and He knew eventually we would come. I, again, it, it goes in all sorts of crazy directions. All sorts of ways, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's like why would God put something in like? he's God, right? He doesn't have to put that tree in there at all. He'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa this, this shouldn't be in here. Let me just uh, take that tree out, right? So there is kind of a um, uh, a direction that like th this was all supposed to go in there. And like who put that snake in the garden also in the first place, right? So, you know, th there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom that goes way beyond my head uh, when it comes to that. For the purposes of this discussion, knowledge is awesome. But it seems that we need to, and I like what you just said uh, a few minutes ago, mm. we need knowledge and 100% detachment from that knowledge is not the right answer, but neither is 100% attachment to that knowledge the right answer. So the idea is that knowledge itself is a very neutral force in our universe. It's just extremely neutral. Like if you think of the number line, we have negative numbers and we have positive numbers. Knowledge would be zero. Knowledge is just zero. It's not a negative number. It's not a positive number. And with some knowledge, you want to take it in a highly attached direction. Like, oh my goodness, I have the knowledge of how to cure cancer. You don't want to be detached with the knowledge of how to cure cancer. If you know how to cure cancer, you don't want to be like, I know how to cure cancer, but it's like no big deal. Like it's just totally cool. I, I don't really feel like doing anything with that. No, that, that's like a moment where you need to be highly attached to that knowledge. But then there's other moments in our lives where we are reading about like the crime rate going up. And then we need to kind of maybe detach a little bit from that and say, okay, crime rate is going up a bit but I'm not going to like hire 10 security dogs and build an I, you know, like an iron fence that's 20 feet high around my house. Like, right. So like, that's a moment where you have knowledge, but you're also being detached from it. And that's a really difficult thing because now each of us as humans has to have the wisdom to know what types of knowledge to cling on to and which ones to kind of completely disengage from. Mm. Yes. I, th I think so. I think, I think so. Um, I, I actually, I think we, we answered this in a fairly satisfactory manner, man. So I think we're going <laughs> to, we're going to leave off here, man. Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me here. This concludes the 140th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Asrod. <laughs>